Welcome, everybody, to Current Events with Max and Colborn. I'm Maxwell Cohen, one of your hosts for this new Mocha podcast, and joining me, my trusty co-host, Colborn Bell. How are we, Colborn? Uh, we are wonderful, Max. It's a pleasure to be here. That's good to hear. Current Events is a podcast where we talk about everything that's going on in the crypto art, NFT, crypto, blockchain, digital art world, and we do not prepare much for it. So everything you're about to hear is off the dome, unprepared. I'm trying to stump Colborn. I'm trying to get him to spill his beans. Colborn's going to get me to do the same. Colborn, let's just jump right in. I have a couple of current events I want to talk about today. And the very first one is Pudgy Penguins. Pudgy Penguins? Pudgy penguins, the, the <laughs> okay, cool. The ten, ten thousand uh, piece PFP project from you know the bull market uh, has moved in a strange direction for NFT projects. It is now a line of stuffed plushies. They have a contract with Walmart. They are now for sale. Uh, these plushy dolls in Walmart stores. And I am curious, Colborn, why does this make any sense for an NFT? What do the holders get? I'm not sure the holders get anything. Do they get like royalties or something? I'm not sure Gary Gensler would would like that. I doubt it. That would, if they have an income stream, then they're probably a security. I have no idea, man. I, um, does, does that not feel like the last ditch effort of a totally flailing genre? (laughs) I, you know, I just like, I don't know, you know, maybe you try to like imprint it in the minds of children and then go make like a TV kid show. And then 10 years later, you pray and hope that those children become incredibly wealthy and and buy everybody's bags. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it feels to me like one of those decisions that we can either look back on and say, like, obviously, this was a portent of bad things to come, or we could say what a stroke of creative genius to get this out of like the NFT world and into the mainstream. I don't know how it affects what was, holders. What was the reaction on Twitter? I've kind a of been of, offline. Yeah. Where you been? I don't know. You know, I've, I've just been in my own, maybe perhaps bubble trying to, trying to do some more thinking instead of observing. Um, well, I have been hyper online, probably online enough for the both of us. And it seems like, Whenever there are these, I don't know, new or, I mean, I think that. Well, what happened to the price? Let's talk about that. Tell you what, let's see. Pudgy Penguins, NFT, OpenSea. Seven day change up 0.3 or 0.4%. So I guess that brings another question, which is like, what is the point of doing this outreach? I mean, what is the point? Are you trying to maintain the floor price of these things are you trying to i mean even if you can expand the ip out into the public domain and have people care about these characters why i don't understand how that affects the holders it seems more like it's just a creative way of surviving so that the bags don't completely go to zero but it seems like all these projects are on autopilot anyway and they're not really married to what their beholden companies are actually doing 
it, it feels to me a lot like 2018, 2019, when these ICO companies would do these letters of intent or deals with kind of, you know, larger, bigger names. And it was just a marketing bump, right? I would imagine, I don't, I would imagine I'm not just going to walk into Walmart uh, and go see like pudgy penguins everywhere. Well, even if you did, the disconnect for me is even if like, let's say something like this is taken to its logical conclusion, right? Just like you said before, there are stuffed animals in all the stores. There's a TV show. Kids love pudgy penguins. What is the impetus behind, like, how do you transfer that audience then back to a world in which people are expected to pay $10,000 at the current floor price for this penguin NFT? I mean, we can say it would be like, you know, you're investing in stock in the company, but we know that that's a really tenuous place to be right now, legally, with especially in the US with the kinds of haphazard regulation that seems to, you know, attack random projects. So you want to diminish that or at least diminish the noise on that as much as possible. So unless they have some kind of secret communications with their holders saying, don't worry, Gary Gensler is going to come around, uh, (laughs) it's going to be okay to use these NFTs as an investment vehicle and we'll pay out dividends, which doesn't seem likely. I don't understand why holders would have this be something to celebrate. It seems very much like when Doodles excommunicated themselves from the NFT ecosystem <laughs> more than the NFT company. Right. But but Pudgy Penguins, for whatever reason, their price is holding. I mean, you can buy a Doodle for 1.3 ETH. That used to be way, way, way higher. Mm. Pudgy Penguins seems to generally like... Trend is your friend here, kind of. I don't know. It just it struck me as an interesting tactic, I suppose. One of these very admittedly creative ways in which these PFP projects are trying to maintain relevance. I mean, even Yuga, I feel like, what do they do um, anymore? I think they put out like some kind of a trading card game or something or other, but it's that it, it stinks of desperation. And sometimes that desperation is it can it can come in a cool package, but there was a lot of like just, congratulations here's the thing is like none of it is cool right <laughs> so like who who you know what are what are you know we're like late 20s mid 30s adults we might have the disposable income to make a decision to join this like i just would never yeah well i wouldn't necessarily buy like a paw patrol nft for ten thousand dollars <laughs> right i and mean that would, would be a ever, great bet would you ever want to be called like a pudgy penguin i'm sorry that's just goofy that's so goofy. Especially me. I'm very self-conscious or about my board, weight. Or a bored ape. Like, that shit is goofy, man. CryptoPunks, though. That's kind of cool. CryptoPunks is kind of cool. Just but it's, like, name. almost goofy by association. Yeah. So much of what we do here is goofy by association. I mean, kind of. But there's also, like, real interesting art. Is that just, like, a general point? Like, there's real interesting <laughs> art? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you know, like, I just don't get, I don't get why people are obsessed with this shit. I don't get why they care. I don't get why, like, they're holding. I don't even get why these communities are trying to do anything like this. Yeah. Right? It all reeks of desperation. It reeks of just, like, overwrought, try-hard-ism, hustle culture bullshit that, like, who want, who actually really, like, wants to be associated? I want to meet that person i should go probably to like a pudgy penguins meetup and just listen and and not say anything do you have and a then, pudgy penguin do of course not 
I don't know what you collected over the last X amount of I years. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, I can look at these things. I can be like, oh, you know, like, that's kind of cute. Like, maybe like 0.02 ETH to like just say I did, but. Maybe not at $10,000. Dude. Could buy a Subaru Impreza. Most reliable <laughs> car in the world. I would buy like a lot. This podcast is brought to you by Subaru. Thank you, Subaru. Do you have a current event for me or should we go on to my next one? Well, I actually was, you know, I was going to ask you more broadly mm-hmm. now that everything is passed. And now what, what do you think is, is valuable? What do I think is valuable in the crypto art or just? In yeah, general? yeah, just in general. Like what have you seen actually happen here that you think is valuable, whether it's art, whether it's like community formation what to you after all the hype and you know hopefully independent clear minds at this point that's such a fucking open-ended question (laughs) (laughs) well like you know for example there's been some people in my dms hunting certain pieces right and you know and and that just interests me because that's what they find valuable right and i always tell everybody the same thing like Everybody wants me to give them an offer. Everybody's like seeking out people who are desperate and trying to, you know, a- acquire these things. But there is, there is like super tight diamond hands around certain things, mostly because the supply is so scarce. And, you know, I don't want, okay, whatever. I'll just, I'll just say like, people seem to be really excited about early AI work right now. What, uh, like the, the Quasimondos, the Helena Sarans, people like that? Even earlier, like the obscure crypto art experiments from uh, 2018, like for example. Stuff? Uh, like right after Videodrome. So, you know, obviously Robbie is super well known and Obvious is super well known. Uh, there are some earlier small experiments on Super Rare that I've been seeing bids on and... And there, there might be like four of these pieces, right? So there's a couple examples. One is, uh, I believe the guy's name is Liam Elul. And he's Australian uh, artist. Only did these four pieces. And he took all of his Google photos of himself or like Facebook photos of himself and mashed them together into like these 20 second GIFs of it, like morphing through his face. And they're just like, hideous they're just truly like hideous and it's just funny that somebody would do this to themselves with all of the data that they have but that was their data set like of their digital life and i believe art gnome wrote an article on it when it came out and there's four of them um you, you know another one is by this artist zaza who took every picture from the world's most beautiful places reddit yeah and- slash our earth porn Exactly, slash our earth porn. And there's four of those as well. Yep, we have Oasis in the Genesis collection. Exactly. Yeah, cool piece. I mean, I think my answer is going to go uh, in a pretty different direction, I think. Um, because in kind of getting to see the solidification of an art movement firsthand and having not really had an understanding of how... I mean, it's really hard to... Unless you're deep into reading biographies and a real scholar, it's really hard to understand how these things form in real time. So when it comes to things that are valuable from this movement, from what I've seen, I don't think of very many specific pieces. Now, 
um, the collector Artie Hands has a ideology that I, 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 I echo, which is that um, he is really appealed to by art that makes use of the blockchain. Uh, and I have not been shy about my enjoyment of things like Matt Cain's gazers uh, and all of Matt Cain's work because of how intelligently it uses blockchain dynamics and how um, creative that is. Um, other things like um, we have a piece in the Genesis collection uh, called Sundial by Vans Design that uses um, like timestamps on the blockchain and has all these different colored effects. Like I think that that art really appeals to me because otherwise, and you've said this for so long, like what's really a value here is the distribution mechanism, not the art necessarily, right? The art is kind of unmarried from the distribution mechanism of NFTs. I have been feeling for some time like this is an art movement with a set of like not training wheels necessarily but it's got a hard start stop start and stop point so many of the things that i think are interesting and creative and forward thinking about crypto art are not currently being rewarded by the larger institutions that are snaking themselves into um, crypto art. They're more focused on just digital art in general, which is totally fine. But crypto art at its, as a, at, a, at its core is leveraging either for the art or for the distribution, the power of being on the blockchain. And to me, you know, I think we were discussing this in another platform a couple of days ago, but, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as we both know, there hasn't been a payment made for the goose um, from 6529 to uh, Sotheby's or Christie's or wherever it sold for the Dimitri Cherniak goose. Um, and it seems to me like that's a betrayal of so much of crypto art, just as it was a betrayal when Matt Cain didn't receive his quote unquote bid from, um, again, Sotheby's or Christie's, I can't remember. The technology itself is supposed to keep that from happening, right? It's encoded into the technology itself. So and there's any kind of system in which that is not being leveraged it seems like a a slight to the ethos of the movement itself so you know well we everyone has their own definition of what crypto art is but what you can't avoid is that it has something to do with the blockchain and often enough and my fear is that it will keep happening more and more uh, especially the longer that crypto currency stays down and out of the limelight is that this crypto art movement will remain or become more of just a digital art movement, which is great for digital art, but it is not to me kind of validating the most exciting parts of what's here. So I think the value is in uh, uh, the value is in learning how to see an art movement through to its like logical conclusion to give it safe Harbor, because I'm not sure any of us, like you said, in our 20s and 30s knew how to do that before crypto art. And I think there's a better idea, but I'm not sure now with the degraded mechanisms and the kind of people who were first incentivized to be here and the kind of actors who invested a lot in this space and now have a uh, categorical imperative to see it to a certain, to see it evolve in certain ways. I'm not sure that we would do that again if I'm not sure crypto art itself would do that again if it had a choice. Does that make sense? That was a ramble. A little bit. I, I'm, maybe I can try and paraphrase in my own ways. Um, 
I think what you're trying to say is that, and I think Art Gnome tweeted this, it's basically that like the medium one, you know, how else from here are we going to go and trade and consume digital arts, right? Like NFT has become the digital art market. Um, I would never go buy a piece of digital art without it. You know, so then then there's always that question from, you know, the art world, was it just a market innovation or was there actual innovative bleeding edge art here? I mean, I guess my fear is that like crypto art is going to be seen as the equivalent of like a refrigerated truck, like able to get a good from point A to point B safely. Does that make yeah, sense? I mean, look, I, I don't think crypto art works. Okay, so we, we know we have these two competing forces, right? Crypto art does not work unless like the denizens and vanguards of crypto and the people who are at the top begin to lend like validity and, and frankly dollars to the cultural importance of this, right? There is no valid expression of crypto art if like the thought leaders and the people who were early and whoever it is that are public just take vitalik who i think has like publicly derided and denounced nfts um or at least didn't expect this sort of popularity right until somebody like that gets behind it and begins to like build a significant collection and say like look at this this is important to the crypto community. And I think so much of that is, is really lacking. That helps me put things in perspective as well. And I'm going to now give you an answer to your original question now that I've thought about that. But you're right. All these things are lacking, but we see glimpses of them. And what's valuable to me about all of crypto art is still the possibilities inherent in blockchain, but possibilities that we're not um, perhaps making good on. Um, what you can do with timestamping, what you can do with provenance, what you can do with fractionalization, what you can do with co-ownership. Like the I mean, idea- just, the, just the mere fact that it exists transparently mm-hmm. is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Just, yeah. For, just outside of everything, the fact that people can view it and they can know what has happened to it, and that is public information that is distributed on a, a ledger, is incredible. Right, because the contemporary art world is, of course, just vacuums of power centered around information, right? And who knows what, where, who is willing to sell what, which family is going through a divorce and these assets are moving to their children and they want to divest. So, you know, knowing all that little inside information, and I see that here too, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying, is like people are poking around right now trying to figure out what they can get on the cheap. If you can make a case for it to accrue future value, like pick it up if you can. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, we, we've already seen all of the storylines that are going to be told again, but they're going to be told on a 10x scale, right? So all of this like NFT archaeology thing, this is going to be huge, right? So you will, of course, have your like star nexus, as you said, you'll have your Quasimandos, you'll have your Helena Serens, you know, you'll, you'll have your like crossover crypto art, contemporary art stars. And that is, that is just brand, right? But then you'll also have like the rise of the technology and AI, of course, is going to be huge. And that's the number fundamentally of- captured by the blockchain itself. 
Totally. And the number of AI artworks that were created and minted in 2017, you know, 10x to 2018, 10x to 2019, 10x to 2020. But when we're looking at 2025, when millions of these things are going to be created every day yeah, uh, and probably minted, you know, it's a it's <laughs> it's a tiny, 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 tiny fraction. That's a that's a really great point. It's like how Mooncats, the ones made in 2017, are a lot more appealing, a lot more valuable because they were the early ones. Anything else you want to say about that? Again, I'm not sure I answered your question entirely, mm, but I don't I don't I think it's just kind of like large random musings. No, I mean it's it's a fascinating topic, right? Like what is the value of this space? I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what do you think is next, right? What do you think is the next competing art movement? Because you know, historically speaking, it's like you have these art movements, but they arise independently of each other because of geography. Like the works of uh, Giorgio de Chirico influenced surrealism, even though he wasn't a part of surrealism, but his works went there um, or the influence of his works. But crypto art, because it's so all encompassing, because it's not geographic, like can there be a post crypto art art movement that is not connected to crypto art in a free flowing fashion? That's so interesting. <laughs> I'm just like very curious as all these technologies converge and it seems every day more and more likely that we approach some sort of technological singularity, right? In which people are able to kind of like whip up anything that they want on demand. It will be interesting to see just what comes next, right? I, <laughs> I you know, I just hear this more and more like, you know, we need to get off the internet. We need to, you know, more of like the Ted Kaczynski, just like, what has all this technology done to us? And I think this is like a very poorly <laughs> formed take. Uh, but I think there is going to be some sort of reckoning. You know, there's going to be people that like fully lean in transhuman cybernetics, let's tech mod everything out. And then there's going to be. That was like a Daft Punk song. <laughs> and, then, and then there's just going to be like, oh my gosh, we've strayed so far from the course and, and we just need to like return to nature. I still think we're, we don't realize how much of the, its infancy the internet remains in and that like where we are in the cycle, not just of crypto art and you know, NFTs and everything, but of just the internet as a whole, as a mass adopted product. Like we've only ever ebbed with the internet. We've never flowed away from it en masse. Something will do that. That's how everything works. Everything reaches, like you said, that singularity, that um, zenith, and then kind of flows back away. I wonder what that looks like when it happens. Um, I think it's probably coming sooner rather than later because I think AI gets way scary and way annoying and way dangerous a lot quicker than it gets like fun and controlled. So here's like a tangential point is I've recently become you know, a little bit obsessed with this, uh, it's Vietnamese SoundCloud rap, right? So it's, it's anyways, that's self-explanatory what that is, but it's just so fascinating to me. Instantaneous, how, how instantaneous the distribution is and then how quickly individuals are able to just go rework that thing that is popular somewhere into their own style, right? So this is really, you know, I spoke about this in March, right? Like global monoculture. 
there almost is no subculture anymore because if it's popular in a subculture, it's just like immediately appropriated and then just distributed globally. Yeah. Which is really in my mind, pretty scary for creators. It's, it's the speed at which value is recognized and then leveraged. Right. Right. So just a, a case in point here is how many X copy derivatives came up behind X copy and we're actually like selling significant for significant sums of money because the visual aesthetic is known to be valuable. Well, it's like the ease of launching a satellite into space, right? It's like as soon as an X copy is launched, which can happen so suddenly, so quickly and so easily it like a star system around it is immediately going to form and that value is going to trickle out like in spindles. Right. And then you start to look at these people where this value has accrued and you really start, I really start to wonder if like as people, they're okay. Because I was having, I was having this conversation with, with a friend yesterday as well. Like celebrity just inherently corrupts. It just inherently makes you mentally ill. It must be really, really difficult to feel like you're in that position of power and you have some sort of obligation to kind of steward and, and uplift. And I know you wanted to talk about kind of the crypto people, crypto punks thing, and maybe that's a good segue. Mm. Well, before we do, um, the Fran Leibowitz quote, I always think of the best fame is a writer's fame because it's enough to get you a dinner a seat at the restaurant, but not enough to get you recognized. Seems like so many people here have blown right past that. And it is a lot of responsibility. And, and I have some questions about, you know, I, I don't know too much about Beeple uh, as a person. Obviously, I know his I don't know, legend or his mythos as a figure. But um, Beeple held a crypto punk celebration event in Charleston, South Carolina yesterday. I'm not sure if it's his museum or if Beeple just has like a space at a museum but he's got some kind of an art space and there was this whole crypto punk event and i'm curious on your thoughts well i guess let's start on what we just ended on like beeple is the largest star system in crypto art to this day there is a thread that connects people like beeple to people like elon musk which is rare enough so i mean when it comes to responsibility on that scale for a guy who is kind of an artist and technologist first and you know it seems to be i don't know i'm, I'm just i'm curious do you, like do you think people has done a good job is he a paradigm for immense crypto art fame or like are there obvious failings we can learn from this uh I, i'm always so like reticent to give honest views here right mm -hmm. but it it, it obviously you know, I, I believe probably the creation of the Beeple Studio was a Beeple Yuga Labs joint project. Mm -hmm. If if I recall correctly, I think this is something they embarked on together. So of course they're going to continue to commingle and promote things of mutual interest. But I don't like, you know, I just don't like when the individual is bought out and moved by the corporation because for me it's incredibly transparent right but for whatever who knows how many followers people has at this point 
it's just not. And you understand how culture is distributed top down and it's really, really depressing. And that, it, that just bothers me, right? It bothers me that Yuga has all these people like in their back pocket and that these people just promote the interests of them. Well, and that's part of what I really wanted to get into with this people crypto punk event, which is this kind of continued push of crypto punks towards a place in like the artistic canon as if it's not a product. And it seems more and more, especially because it's owned by Yuga, which is a transparently money-making institution. Like the goal is simply to accrue some kind of value, whether it's historical or creative or social and leverage that for the good of like the company. I mean, crypto punks are a secondary product in the Yuga ecosystem. Um, but I personally find myself uncomfortable, even though it was an early NFT, early NFT project, you know, you can call that important if you like, but I'm uncomfortable with the continued equation of crypto punks with artistry um, because they, they don't seem to have a lot in common necessarily. Um, so more, more than like a product, it's a backdoor to begin to like entice and influence institutions like museums to accept and adopt them, right? And then once that entity has built those connections, they can begin to also like whisper artists in those people's names and get those artists under that umbrella. And again, this goes back to the problem of like culture moving from, from the top down, right? Because then it's like, you have to be in the good graces of Yuga Labs to get connected to LACMA, right? To get your work featured there. And that is, again, it's just depressing. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's how the sausage gets made. Remember, I'm remembering now a quote from an interview I did with Pinder Van Armin. He said, um, you get punks one of three ways uh, you were there at the drop, you're very wealthy, or you're very good at trading NFTs. And only one of those things should be important for the sake of art history. But though that mechanism of attaining a punk being there at the drop is by far the least, um, it's been the least sticky, especially with the price increases. I would venture to guess that most crypto punks have been, have changed hands at least once and probably many a lot more times than that. But yeah, I mean, you see the, threads that connect a, a billion dollar corporation like Yuga to a influential artist like Beeple to a vaunted artistic institution, all of which are trying to survive and are kind of engaged in this symbiotic relationship. But it's not that I think that it's evil because it's not, it's just the way things are, but it's, you know, it's a closed ecosystem that you get invited into based on the value you can provide to the principal actors. Yeah, it's just boring to me and it's tired, right? And I think, you know, all of the museum philosophy was anti that. And I, I can't say we were either like particularly successful in overturning <laughs> the way that, you know, arts and new media institutions work and run and can behave and can be governed by the public. But, well, I mean, I even think about like the name of the thing, CryptoPunks. Like there's nothing punk about CryptoPunks anymore. It's they're... Uh, it's completely commoditized. They're completely anesthetized. If there was a 
punk sensibility at the beginning of crypto art, it has completely been lost with the continued centering of institutional support and with a continued emphasis on like mainstream success. Now that's the fate I think of every punk movement. It happened even to you know punk rock in the eighties, but boy, it never gets less uh, depressing to actually see. But I, but it, it goes back to all of this. Like there is no underground anymore. You do not, if it is viable, if it is in demand, it instantly gets commercialized and distributed as widely as possible. Right. Just look at the journey of, of those board apes, right. Where they went from like a year into creation to like on Jimmy Fallon with Paris Hilton. So, you know, I find, and, and again, I think, I hope more people like begin to wake up to this. I'm sure it doesn't really even touch most people's radar. I'm sure, you know, like the only way that these celebrities are there is because people are whispering in their ear. Who was the Mila Kunis got like bonked on the head for, (laughs) for stoner cats. Right. And you know, she she has, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Stoner cats has to pay whatever millions of dollars in, in grievances and her and Ashton were hyping it up and promoting it. And she was doing like blockchain 101 classes for people. And then she like goes and admits that she, she just like knew nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it'll, it's only a matter of time before I also admit that I know nothing. Um, if it was not readily obvious by my seven minute <laughs> diatribe earlier, uh, as I came I think, around to try and make a point. I think we're all there. Okay. I have uh, one more current event for you, which is uh fuel world. Juocious who, took some time away from the limelight after some less than savory allegations of uh, abuse now seem to just roar back in with all of the sheer vigor of uh, a Louis CK, Woody Allen. And just, <laughs> so just brutal. Uh, Hey, look, I call it like I see it. You just storm right back in the limelight and you don't let anything. Look, I don't know. I just saw some text yeah. messages, but that's not really what I want to talk about. I just want to talk right. about like you just, like I said, you battering ram yourself back in the limelight. And what better way to do it than with a 20,000 piece PFP project? Uh, in this climate, I think that it's patently insane. Uh, it just seems like a complete misread of the entire ecosystem. It seems so divorced from reality. Now, is the artist like 19 or 20? Absolutely. So let's not get on their case too much in this uh, completely vacuum sealed conversation about just this one thing. But it just seems like a patently ridiculous move that is t- completely out of touch with the pain of being in the NFT world right now. And I'd like your take on it. Uh, yeah. You know, I was very right early to Fawocious. Um, and there was something so authentic, genuine, uh, and exciting about seeing them come into the scene, right? It was really a marker of first, like, look how excited and talented this young kid is. Um, And, you know, the videos were so joyful and expressive. And then, you know, more information came out about their story and the situation that they were under and the way in which you know this art was being created 
and it was powerful and it was provocative and you know it was very meaningful to a lot of people in signaling ways in which like paradigms were changing and shifting uh, and this person I think clearly and deservedly became a star uh, the problem is of course the exact same thing that happens is that the authentic artist the expression of self right what is created in hard times like the expression and relief of real trauma gets gets commoditized repackaged and repurposed and and now turned into a product right so the inevitability of all of this is that there was going as soon as they sold paint on Nifty yeah. Gateway, there mm-hmm. was going to be a commensurate project. Totally. Right. And this was all right there. Uh, this is too general of a statement, but it seems like too few of these really talented artists are satisfied putting their um, shreds of genius aside for the sake of just making a lot of money. And I don't think that that's necessary. And I especially don't think it's necessary in the world of crypto art. But actually, I'm going to renege on that point immediately because there's an accessibility question too and making 20,000 pieces accessible. I don't know. It, so, so yeah. Yeah, look, you know, I think, uh, I think in comparison, somebody like Die With The Most Likes had just a moment, right? In Marfo, Transient Labs... They did, you know, a physical installation, released beef broth goes. Um, sure, there were 666 of them, but that's a project that is doing uh, two and a half times more volume on the secondary market than FIWA World. And, you know, I think that is somebody who... But this is my, this is my point, is that, like, I don't understand the pull of the quote unquote genius artist to remain in the limelight where it is harder and harder to make a genuine statement with your art. Like, well, you you can't blame, you can't blame the kid. Unfortunately, like the kid was put there probably under like conditions that they did not understand. And this is going to be a really critical part of their evolution to see what kind of person and what kind of artist they're actually going to be fair. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. I'm not going to criticize this could be like, you know, the direction it seems is almost perhaps best case, like a Murakami figure, right. Collaborating, collaborating with brands, doing more commercial stuff. They have a unique aesthetic that is their own that is being expressed in this way. You know, but everybody kind of seems to be building to their world, whether it's Yugo, whether it's, you know, even I remember just like being in L.A. for NFT L.A. And the the guy who released like the Aussie Bats, Aussie Osborne Bats project was talking about how they're going to have like an Aussie Osborne metaverse. And I'm like, oh, my God, like what a disaster, you know. So are we actually like going to get here remains a big question. And if we are, when will it be? <laughs> by then, you know, will will any of this stuff actually be valuable? 
right? I'm not going to go run around and be, you know, my crypto punk or my me bit and my FIWA world. You can't be, you can only be one thing, you know? It's true. Yeah. You can, you can only be one thing. So. And I, and I think I'd, I'd like to revise my previous statement because I don't think that there's so much fault on Fuocious to begin with. Like you said, and like we all see the larger forces that have a vested interest in the, in, you know, mining as much success out of these artists as possible. Like those are too strong for any person, let alone, you know, a 20 year old just starting their adult life to resist. Like, let's not, it's stupid of me to even suggest otherwise. It's predatory. If somebody, if you're 20 and somebody puts like a million dollars on your table, you've only lived with your parents and this is like your ticket to freedom. Like you, you obviously, you just take it and they say, go create whatever you want, however you want in a beautiful studio, wherever you want. If somebody puts a Chick-fil-A sandwich in front of me, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) I think my ultimate point though, is that I'm still dismayed that in six ish years of crypto art, there is not a middle path through stardom. It is so littered with dangerous debris that gets you to do something like a 20,000 piece PFP project that gets you to do something like huge advertisements for Sotheby's or Christie's that gets you to do something like um, make a deal with the devil with Yuga Labs. I am dismayed that there's not a way out of the forest yet for these really talented, really forward thinking, really individual artists. There is seems like there is little choice at a certain point, but to either align yourself with negative actors or to wither and just hope for the best later on. I mean, you know, like token angels and moderates can't buy everything. Fair or enough. Bad That's players, true. Right? Yeah. Um, these are, you know, these are only people. Yeah, the, the patron paradigm is so limiting. Uh, and yeah. It's something we want to avoid. Well, speaking of, I wonder if you have any uh, thoughts on that, you know, what was it? Uh, Art Sachi All-Star Collector Show? Oh, we're kind of just... just... <laughs> yeah, you know, this is something that... I, 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 yeah, it's all men... <laughs> It's very it's transparent. Nine, Vincent Van Doe. Yeah, it's good. yeah. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. I I find myself thinking all the time of something Ohm said to me once at Collector Ohms. He said the best collectors in the space, or the supposed best collectors in the space, are those that spend the most money. Full stop. And there is just so little interest in actual curation or actual like interrogation of collectors. I mean, it's almost like, oh, you've amassed a collection. We can do the curation later as opposed to validating the insight or the uh, foresight. And I I mean, it's just such a fucking joke. (laughs) It is such a fucking joke. And again, it goes back to the fact that nobody is willing to speak to the the art and why the art is important. It, it, It does come down to curatorship. It comes down to the fact that, you know, people are trying to like, shift the narrative around previous existing network effects and it generally takes 10x times more dollars to do something like that did you uh did you get asked to be a collector in that no of course not well, that's ridiculous because you're white you're a guy you have a big collection <laughs> seriously when are I we going to start spend seeing equal money. opportunities for all white men I, I didn't i didn't spend enough money i didn't have it now you just have a lifetime of regret to think about it i know 
Um, I feel like we've gotten through a lot of topics today, most of them economic in nature, but I kind of like that we're just going to have these completely different conversations each week, God willing. Yeah, I don't really have uh, much to contribute otherwise. <laughs> some weeks are exciting, some weeks are dour. We're going to reflect it all. Yeah. Colborn, any last thoughts before we move on? Uh, no, I've, I've left it all on the table today. Yeah, I have too, except for my mixed feelings about a trade sending uh, Celtics big man, Robert Williams, and former Indiana Pacers guard Malcolm Brogdon to the Portland Trailblazers, along with a couple of picks uh, for Drew Holiday. I'm, I'm unsure, but I can Why, be swayed. You were, Cole excited. you were excited an hour ago. Yeah, I was excited an hour ago. I've had this pod. Maybe it's just the whole emotion around this been, podcast. Have, have you just been scrolling Twitter? Looking for uh, people's reactions? No, I just look at your little box throughout this entire it, podcast. Oh, that's a bummer. What about, maybe that's something we can just touch on at the end. How much do you think there is opinion forming based around perceived like collective ideation on Twitter? Oh, okay. So I'm glad you asked this. So in 2020 or before the 2020 U.S. presidential election, I became a nut for Bernie Sanders, the Democratic Socialist. I was all about Bernie Sanders. I said this on a podcast recently, but bears repeating again. I was all about him. I was like, I was ready to go door to door knocking for this guy. I had this moment of distance from myself where I thought, Max, you've never cared that much about a single presidential candidate and you dislike cults of personality. Why is it that now this one person has broken that mold? And I kind of did some self-reflection, some self-analysis, and I realized that so much of my Twitter feed was reporters and politicos and all these folks who were in the bag for Bernie Sanders and through their, through all, again, all of this collective ideation, I was becoming fully, I, I was falling down that rabbit hole of opinion. And I made a decision, more of an experiment to scrub my Twitter of all of the political, everything political. It was just sports and entertainment news and my friends. And I felt the specific political opinions melt away from me. Like, like day after day, uh, it was like chemotherapy for a malignant opinion. And so I think it's a massive part, a massive, massive part of our thoughts. We do not have independent thoughts anymore. Uh, we want our thoughts, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but we want our thoughts validated. We want to go to a movie and then come home and read reviews for that movie so we can see whether like, somebody smarter than us was thinking the same thing so we can feel validated or whether they thought something uh, different so we can feel like we must have missed something. So that is my number one fear of like the generation younger than me, right? That is like purely raised on the internet is uh, mass idea formation through like these information funnels. Because obviously, you know, you only see and know what is in your bubble, but you put yourself in those bubbles and there is like really almost no room for outside discourse or conversation because you think that is like socially formed because you're so entrenched in that information vacuum. Yeah. You just don't know. And, and you don't know what's happening to you until you can step outside of it. You just like, it feels so natural and it feels so slow moving. There's no switch that you say, Oh, this is now what I believe, but you start to just bend your, thinking like you said towards the monoculture um and it, and the monoculture eats everything in its path 
Um, but you know, consumption, consumption, consumption. Should we get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Once I start advocating for consumption, it's probably time to go. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us on current events this week. Uh, we'll be back on uh, Friday with our Mocha live podcast. You can catch the live stream of that at, I believe we're doing it at 2.30 p.m. EST this Wednesday. If you want to join us on Twitter or on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to our Substack at museumofcrypto.substack.com. Make sure you tell myself or Colborn, or actually just myself, if you have questions, comments, concerns, if you have questions you want answered by Mocha, please submit an email to hello at museumofcryptoart.com. Colborn, I feel like that was most of it, right? Yeah, you know, we we also better shout out uh, Subaru. I love oh, my new yep. Impreza. It's like driving on a cloud. I'm so excited for it to handle in uh, the upcoming wintry conditions. I wish I didn't actually have a Subaru Impreza so that this could be a joke, but I oh, do you love do? my Subaru. <laughs> yeah, I've had a Subaru for uh, many well, years. Well. <laughs> We've talked about advertising this podcast, and if you only- are, a, oh, if you are a, you know, if you are a junior biz dev associate at Subaru listening to this podcast, yeah, if you want, your, if you want Subaru marketing to hit like forty <laughs> more people a week, you know who to get at. We'll have everybody sell their pudgy <laughs> penguins and buy you Subarus. You can get a. I know we said this at the beginning, but it bears repeating last thought that you could get a Subaru for the price of a pudgy penguin. You could sell your pudgy penguin and buy a Subaru. Which I highly recommend you do. All right, Colborn, we will uh, talk soon. Thanks everyone for being with us. Have a a great rest of your day. Current Events is edited and produced by me, Max Cohen. Thanks, as always, to Colborn Bell for being my trusty Current Events co-host, and thank you to Julian Brangold for composing our intro and outro music. And, of course, thank you all for being here. We'll be back next Tuesday with more Current Events, so we'll see you all soon.